0: as barred Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this tremendous opportunity to study your word, to gather together in the unity of faith, Father. Thank you for truth that sets us free, a truth that we are able to find in Holy Scripture, a word that your Spirit inspired so long ago but still stands by uh, in truth. Thank you for your Grace, your mercy, and your love, and thank you for revealing them to us uh, first and foremost by means of the gospel. So this is how we are saved, uh, but also as we continue to live in your plan and we realize our own purpose as individual believers that you've left after salvation, that we have a great commission on our lives. What a privilege that is, Father, to ratchet into that saddle, so to speak a place where you've called each one of us uniquely. We pray for those still lost in this world, Father, of course, and that we are given the opportunity to evangelize them. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your Son's work on the cross to make an evening like this a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, what is repentance and who gets to define it? Um, One of my favorite lines from Tuesday's lesson was this up here on the board in terms of simplicity. God's plan for salvation is as simple as a little child running to his father to save him. Okay. Sounds perfect. God's plan for salvation is as simple as a little child running to his father To save him. And frankly, this is the way we ought to be painting the gospel. This is the way we ought to be painting the gospel. It shouldn't be complicated, it should be very inviting, but it should be honest. It should be with the utmost respect for the sovereignty of our Father in heaven. We ought never undermine uh, His authority over us as our Creator. He is the Almighty God after all. We ought never undermine uh, anything to do with His plan to save us. So with all that, you know, in tow, it really is a simple concept, salvation. It's just a, a little child running to their father and saying, I cannot do this myself. I'm dying. I'm dead. I need you, Dad. And that's how we should really present the gospel. Um, But as a balance statement, and this came out on Sunday, we are not strictly evangelizing every moment of every day. Rather, our direction is set. And it points to eternal life, inviting and encouraging others to join us in our joy. But it doesn't mean that we're, you know, hey, have you heard the good news? Have you heard the good news At every family function, every work function, every, you know, trip to the mall, uh, if if the Spirit leads you to do that, great. But we ought not feel guilty if we're not, you know, um, evangelizing 24 by 7. Um, We're to live in this direction, this joy set before us, and we ought minimally be lights, beacons, if you would, for others to see Christ in us, even if we're not presenting the gospel, we are, as I like to say from the pulpit, living the gospel reality. And, you know, as uh, Jay Vernon McGee would say, your actions speak so loud, I don't hear a word you're saying. So if you say you're a Christian and you're living, I don't know, like the prodigal son did before he repented, um, people are not going to be attracted uh, to Christ in you because, frankly, he might not be there. But that's a balanced statement, um, just to sort of keep things on um, the level. But we do know from Scripture that everyone does have a role in the Great Commission. We even heard about Barnabas on Tuesday. Uh, you don't hear a whole lot about him, do you? Other than that he, his name even means encourager, you know, that kind of a thing. And as Scott said, um, who knows how Paul would have fared? without Barnabas's encouragement, without Barnabas' help. Um, just because we don't read a lot about certain people doesn't mean they're any less valuable. In fact, if you read uh, 1 Corinthians 12, it's the so-called lesser spiritual gifts that we're to bestow more honor on. Because in many ways, it's harder to be the person behind the scenes. It's harder to be that person that never gets recognized. Not that we need recognition, but you know what I'm saying. And that was Barnabas. Another great line from Tuesday's lesson was, you have no idea of the power of encouragement. You have no idea of the power of encouragement, and it's so true. We have no idea how many times just our presence is adequate For God to deliver someone else, just our presence is enough. You don't have to say a word. You can have the grumpy cat face on. I don't care. Some of you do. I'm serious. Like now, and almost every day you're here, it's amazing. I'm like, man, your face is going to get stuck like that. (laughs) I don't care. From my vantage point it's good to see you honestly and if you're in any position that has anything to do with someone else uh, and an opportunity for them to encourage you you don't you just care that they're there that they showed up so just show up sometimes I mean just show up never underestimate your impact in this world That is what God can and will do with your life for the sake of others to His glory. Just show up. Never underestimate your impact in this world. That is what God can and will do with your life for the sake of others to His glory. What a wonderful lesson we received on Tuesday on much of this, and I thank Scott Uh, wholeheartedly for listening to the Spirit and delivering it. But just a few more key points that I got out of the lesson worth sharing. So much from the pulpit has been on the topic of perspective. This came from the pulpit on Tuesday. If your mind is set on Christ's perspective, who came to seek and to save, Luke 19.10, you will be beset with big-picture perspective that contemporary Christianity is wrought with lies. The very direction of contemporary Christianity is not Christ-like. That's the the paradox that seems like a lot of people call themselves Christians, but fewer and fewer of them actually shine like Christ, (laughs) actually bear any fruit in the likeness of Him, actually have the same joy set before them. So if your mind is set on Christ's perspective, which really was gospel-focused, you will be be beset with big-picture perspective that contemporary Christianity is wrought with lies. For example, today's, quote, Christianity does whatever it can to foster living for self, not others living for self, not others. That's what today's Christianity uh, fosters. In fact, most churches are designed to glorify individuals who walk through the doors, starting with this office. It's disgusting how elevated uh, individuals have presented themselves it's literally grotesque to see. DJ and I were talking about that before class. Um, I, just, I just don't understand it. I don't understand how um, anyone claims to be a minister of the Word of God and is literally making millions of dollars off of a ministry. I don't understand that at all. That does not jive. It does not have anything to do that I can see with truth, with somebody who's there for the right reason. I don't understand it at all. Maybe I'm reading a different Bible. Maybe I have a different spirit speaking to me. I don't know. I'm being facetious. But I don't understand that at all, at all. So starting with pulpits, even. Most churches are designed to glorify individuals who walk through the doors, and you know what's sad? That's the end of the ministry. Hey, you made it! (laughs) Good for you. You're such a good Christian. You made it to church. Wait a minute. Isn't there like a reciprocating... Aren't we supposed to be trained up as soldiers to go out there? Oh, no, no, no. No, No. let, let the destitute and the unknowing and the tragic... Let them stay out there. Let them find their way to the church. And if they happen to show up and they pass muster, maybe we'll let them be part of our group, our little inner circle. That's not the Great Commission at all. The Great Commission is not inside of four walls. The Great Commission's out there. But you'd be hard-pressed to find the average Christian church actually teach anything like that. The end goal for most churches is, yay, you made it to church. Oh, good for you, little Johnny. And it's disgusting. And like I said, some of the so-called pastors, which I don't think they are at all, what the Bible calls false prophets, are making money, hand over fist, selling this garbage to people. Because that's all it is. It's a form of prostitution. You see it, right? That's all it is. I'll lie to your face and tell you, I'll even lie to you and tell you're going to heaven. Just prop me up and, and keep putting that money in the basket because I need my third Mercedes. People are praised for simply doing as they ought to do. That's the craziest part of all of this. Even you being here tonight, is it good to see you? Absolutely. But you know what? You're supposed to be here. You want me to sit here and go, oh, yeah, you made it. Oh, good for you. You're supposed to be here. <laughs> You're supposed to be here. And you want to be, what, praised because you made it? <laughs> right? I mean, I'm not saying I haven't done that. Like, oh, you know, I'll come to church and, you know, maybe I'm in a bad mood. And I don't feel like standing behind the pulpit. What am I supposed to be? You guys are supposed to praise me? This is what I'm supposed to do is what I'm built to do. It's what my master, I'm a slave. It's what my master told me I ought to be doing. Now I want to be praised for doing what I'm supposed to do? What kind of cockamamie world do we live in? That's the average Christian, though. Everybody gets a trophy. Not in God's world. <laughs> Go to Luke 17.6. What does the Bible have to say about such things? This has to be... I'm not going to say one of my favorite, but I love teaching this particular passage because it goes against the everybody gets a trophy garbage that is so famously instituted in our own country nowadays. Luke 17:6, And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you, having a slave plowing or attending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, "Come immediately and sit down to eat"? But will he not say to him, "Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, and serve me while I eat and drink, and after afterward you may eat and drink"? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which are commanded, does he? So you too, when you do the things which are commanded, you say. We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. That's it. So if you want to come through the the doors and be uh, praised for making it to church or gracing everybody out with your presence, I think you're missing something. Or actually completing, or at least attempting to complete the Great Commission in your life. You want to be praised? This is a skewed perspective. Those who obey the commands of the Lord ought not think that their obedience is meritorious, worthy of praise. Luke 17, 6-10, we just read. Yet many so-called, quote, Christian churches nowadays bait the human flesh with such praise. Why should we lower God's standards? why why would we ever do that we don't have the right if god says you ought not be praised for doing what you're commanded to do then far be it for us to praise people to do what they are commanded to do is that fair but that's not what you find in christian churches those who obey the commands of the lord ought not think that their obedience is meritorious worthy of praise yet many so-called quote, Christian churches nowadays bait the human flesh with such praise. We must remember that even amidst the stupendous blessing of saving faith, we are not to glorify ourselves for simply agreeing to become a Christian and I speak as a man. Oh, well, I accepted Jesus in my life. Well, aren't you a superstar? Who, <laughs> who's to be praised in this process? You? Or the one who saved you? Who's, who's to be praised here? Are we going to go to grandma and say, Grandma, I believe and oh, you're such a good little girl. I'll give you a lollipop. Is that what we're looking for? We're looking for praise? Remember the following truth always up here on the board. And this is all part of this perspective that the Spirit's been building in us. God saves us not only because He loves us, but because He desires to glorify Himself. This is not about us, in other words. This is God glorifying Himself. The very fact that He's gracious and merciful and loving enough to open up that narrow gate to become a man. To die in our stead so that we have a way, even, to be reconciled with the Holy God of the universe. The fact that he's done any of that, you want to be glorified? You want to make this about you, that you made some great decision for Christ? And oh, it's great, but you want to be glorified? Or should we continue to prostrate ourselves and worship him each and every day afforded to us by the grace of God? Who are we serving here? Are we serving God or are we serving man? Do we want to be pleasing to God, or do we want to be pleasing to man? That question, I just don't think it registers in most Christian churches. In His salvation plan, God has essentially shown us how deep His love is for us, and furthermore, He has shown us the impossibility of man saving himself. And therefore, the, let's call it the difficulty that Jesus faced when overcoming death itself. This is what kind of P.O.'s me a little bit. We know that there are entire populations of professing Christians out there that have shoehorned themselves through the, quote, narrow gate that Jesus taught about, and in doing so, supposedly doing so, have insulted the sovereign God of the universe. In particular, the second person of the Godhead who became a man and died for our sins. Here's some perspective. Narrow is good. You need to get that through your head. See, Satan the lawyer always questions. I mean, even if there was one sliver this big and every person that ever needed to be saved needed to squeak through there, isn't that still gracious? Given our situation, you bet. Satan says that's not gracious. It's too narrow. That's the satanic way. Some might postulate that, quote, narrow is bad. However, with the right perspective, it is beautiful, simple, pristine. This may not be the, quote, American way, but nonetheless, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John fourteen six. I was thinking about Americans and it was, um, you know, tough. It's tough to think nowadays about the situation that we find ourselves in. Um, Americans are, in general, obnoxiously arrogant. I mean, that's probably the best way I can say it. Um, just look at our culture, for starters, and how it infects other cultures like a disease. I'm not talking about the proper subculture of true Christianity. I'm not talking about that reaching out on the mission field. That's wonderful. I'm not talking about fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm talking about our mainstream culture, the one everybody in the rest of the world seems so interested in. See, that's what you don't see until you go abroad. I saw it when I was in the service. I saw it when I was in business. And I saw it when I was out in India. There's a certain perception of America that we are somehow the golden child, like the apple of God's eye type things. And because we're so-called prosperous and all this thing, that people want to be like Americans. And they think this being, it's something to be had, this, this mainstream culture that we pump out like a sewer pipe. So I'm talking about the mainstream culture we see in every form of media, TV, radio, internet, books, newspapers, et cetera, et cetera. Here's a question I was thinking about. How many kids under the age of 18 years old will answer Jesus when asked who their hero is? How many kids under 18 will ever answer Jesus? Who's your favorite person? Who's your best friend? Who's your hero? It's probably going to be some, what, sports star? Or maybe a a pop star or, I don't know, a rock star or something like that. Or maybe a famous poet, even if they're, you know, cultured. Famous writer. Most of whom, the famous ones, are complete train wrecks. You know why they won't say Jesus? And you know, well, you do know why. But you know what we have in our society that is truly American? School shootings. Oh, that's a great thing, isn't it? School shootings. You know that no other country in the entire world is riddled with this kind of garbage? So I ask you, why is a young man so distraught or out of touch with reality that he thinks he can plow into a school and kill people? Because you know why? And this is going to sound harsh. He's a self-absorbed, fleshly person to the, core, to the core. Self-absorbed, fleshly person to the core. And I've said this so many times, I don't know the number, but if your flesh, so stop pointing fingers, and you're like, yeah, yeah. if your flesh was left unbridled, it would murder anyone who's ever threatened it. It wouldn't think of anything of eliminating another human being because that's the flesh. It has no moral boundaries. You get in my way, I kill you. So, what do you think is going on with these school shootings? We are seeing unbridled flesh run wild. That's basically what it is. And they're not the ones to blame, per se, at least not wholly. Kids are so confused nowadays that it's epidemic. It's horrible. I look at kids and I look at, they're so confused. They don't know up, down, sideways, nothing. And they're all running frantically to a place they don't even know where they're going because the target changes every other day. And sadly, kids are on so many pharmaceuticals that it's mind-blowing. Instead of solving the root problem, we give developing young minds and bodies increasing doses of drugs to numb the pain and anguish that they are feeling. Instead of solving the root problem, instead of addressing it from day one, We dope them up. We just, all we have to do really to get government funding to do so is call it another problem, some other um, diagnosis, some new name for something that has been around for since the ancient times. These kids are lost, but instead of giving them a map, instead of giving them a map, we hand them a loaded gun. One thing I've learned over the years up here on the board, and I'm not picking on people who do truly suffer from such things as depression, I'm speaking about chances are. If you're depressed, chances are. This is what I've learned. You're too focused on yourself. How do I know? Because I've been depressed. If you're depressed, chances are you're too focused on yourself. One of the greatest fruits of self-absorption is depression. Stop focusing on yourself so much. Spend your time focusing on somebody else for a time. We might argue that this is why there are so many depressed people in the world nowadays. And I looked it up. I said, all right, what is this? Am I just seeing things different because I live in a cave. Consider the U.S. alone. You know, the question is, why all this depression? The latest NIMH, National Institute of Mental Health, states that 6.9% of America is depressed. Now, how did we end up there? Now, I'm not talking about people who might have a chemical imbalance and that drives some. That's not what I'm talking about. But these numbers are extraordinary. It's like 7 out of 100 people is depressed in this so-called unbelievable culture, right? That we're spreading to the rest of the world. So I get to thinking even more with my godly lens, with the gospel lens, if someone tells a young child that the only way they'll ever find true peace and contentment is to make it for themselves they have essentially crippled that person for life possibly and lied to them about God how many families now are godless I would imagine the vast majority from what I can see in America If someone tells a young child that the only way they'll ever find true peace and contentment is to make it for themselves, they have essentially crippled that person for life, possibly, and lied to them about God. And you know, there's no shortage of so-called remedies for mental distress in this world. Yet there's only one final authority on the topic, God. Who's the final authority on mental stress? God, why are you stressed out, my son? Why are you stressed out, my daughter? Let me give you the word and let me open up your heart to the truth. Let me show you what's going on really in that precious soul of yours. You won't hear that on Oprah or The View or whatever grotesque, abominations are out there giving advice to people. There's one final authority on the topic. God, if anyone in this universe can offer a person a remedy, isn't it the one who created them? I mean, if you have a, if you have a, a Ferrari Testarossa and something's clicking in the engine, um, don't you want to go to the guy who designed it? Don't you want to go to the... <laughs> if you want to get the absolute best answer why your Ferrari's running like crap, don't you want to go to the, the one that architected it, the one that designed it, the one that built it? I think so. So if you're suffering as an individual, don't you want to go to the one who created you? The Word? Makes sense to me. How many parents are, are uh, guiding their children? to the book. If anyone in this universe can offer a person a remedy, isn't it the one who created them? Then why are so many people pursuing other avenues of healing? If God created man and man is ill, then doesn't it make sense that he is the best person to seek counsel regarding healing? And just as a balance statement, because I don't want people to be upset, not wrongly anyways, I'm not saying that people shouldn't see medical doctors or whoever. That's not what I'm teaching here. I'm just giving you perspective on this apparent epidemic of mental illnesses that has beset our country. And nobody's actually calling out the white elephant in the room. Instead of calling out the white elephant, uh, they're just creating more drugs, and they're pushing them lower and lower into younger and younger generations, because people don't even know how the hell to parent anymore. The entire scene is grotesque. Again, the point on the board, if someone tells a young child that the only way they'll ever find true peace or contempt is to make it for themselves, they have essentially crippled that person for life, possibly, and lied to them about God. How about an alternative perspective, for starters? Is God now alternative medicine? I think about that. God has now become alternative medicine? He's the, one, he's the witch doctor you go to when nothing else works. <laughs> the simple fact that we are able to enjoy any time on earth is a gift from God. Yet he has become a last resort of sorts, not a first cons- consult as our great physician. A last resort, not a first consult as our great physician why don't you know the very first place someone would have sent somebody who was depressed in the ancient days to church to a pastor to someone an elder someone with some wisdom from the good book you're struggling you're having problems you're depressed let's get back to the word of god what does god have to say about your situation god was always the first to be consulted now he's last Well, I guess if nothing else works, including drugging my own kids, why don't I go to God then? He's he's alternative medicine now. It's unbelievable. We just read that we're fortunate enough to be slaves at all, not expecting any kind of particular reward for simply remaining subservient to the one true God. After all, Who are we to expect anything more than what we actually deserve? Now, granted, as adopted children of God, we have certain rights. God tells us we have certain rights. Even blessings that, by His perfect integrity, quote, must be granted by God. But that's not what I'm saying here. I'm trying to remind you of even your previous life as well. Go to Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. You see, this is part of the problem. People are lying to children, and these children are growing up and creating new generations that are completely dysfunctional. Why? Because God is alternative medicine. God's a last resort now. He's somebody you just he's the rebound guy. As I said on Sunday, and I think Scott repeated it on Tuesday, nobody has any respect for Jesus. It's incredible. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's where you came from. That's what you should be telling your kids. (laughs) Seriously, that's what you tell your kids. Not, hooray, you graduated from college with straight A's. Big whooping deal. Big deal. That means you're a great success in the world. Okay, let's consult the Bible. What's the Bible say about that? A friend of the world is an enemy of God. So all those hours you spent studying and ignoring the Word of God so you could get ahead in the world, it just puts you behind. But why aren't parents teaching that? And then we wonder why our kids grow up depressed and, and, and crippled and unable to cope. That's past the problem nowadays. No kids don't know how to cope anymore. They have no coping skills. Why? Because they've completely been lied to. They're dependent on garbage, and so at every, even a little pressure—guess what happens? They shatter like like glass. Because that kind of faith in self cannot withstand true pressure. What overcomes the world? This has overcome the world. Our what? Faith. What if you don't have said faith? Well, here's a pill then. Teach your kids faith. And if that means you offend their sensibilities, so be it. Since when did parents become subservient to children? I don't know, somewhere in the 60s maybe? Because the 60s people were all drugged out anyways, having sex with every which way. You know, I've heard, and I'm beginning to believe this, the most prolific uh, revolution of all time is the sexual revolution. Bigger than the industrial, bigger than any of of these other ones. Blew everything to smithereens. As I alluded to earlier, errant Christianity essentially baits individuals with their praise, patting people on the back for simply playing a game. But we are fighting tooth and nail against this because, you know what? Eternal life is not a game. This is not a game. eternal We're talking about eternal life. It's not like you get a slap on your wrist and 100 years later you go from hell to heaven. You're forever separated from the holy God of the universe. Anything good, which is everything in heaven, you don't have for all of eternity. This is not a game. But the way today's Christianity carries on, you think it was up here on the board, false professors, there are a lot of people living in a lie, in a religion that makes room for self, They want the grace without the truth. That came out on Tuesday. They want the grace without the truth. Yet Jesus himself is described as full of grace and truth, John 1.14. These people don't want Jesus. And Jesus is our great physician. So says the Bible. If you want a, a remedy for a situation, consult the Word of God. Again, there are a lot of people living in a lie, in a religion that makes room for self. They want grace without the truth, yet Jesus himself is described as full of grace and truth. These people don't want Jesus. At the end of the day, they'll take God, but they do not want Jesus. This is what we are fighting. And we are not fighting from without. We are fighting from so-called within the Christian ranks. This is why in many ways we can simply look at the fruit of said religion the way James described. Go to James one twenty-six. You want to know what true religion looks like? Here we go. This is what James describes true religion as. And I'm telling you, it doesn't look anything like what you see in the average Christian church, at least not in America. James one twenty-six. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion, in the sight of our God and Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself unstained by the world." unstained by the world. That means you are not to be a part of it. You are not to make fellowship with it. You are not to befriend it. Because as the Bible says, a friend of the world is an enemy of God. You ought to be unstained by the world. So you have to look at what is being produced from the pulpits of these false religions. There's ones that come under the heading of Christianity. What is being produced? A bunch of self-serving, often emotional, basket cases who cannot withstand any pressure whatsoever. And so, frankly, some of these so-called religious people are worse than people that are called heathens. They're worse. They just do everything in secret. <laughs> but who cares, right? As long as everybody's playing the same game. James, Jesus' brother, described true religion this way because G- if Jesus were us, that's what he'd be doing. Think, just put that into perspective. Did Jesus, there's nobody smarter than Jesus. Nobody with more wisdom than Jesus. Nobody. He pretty much could've done anything he wanted, right? What did he do? He was a carpenter who spread the gospel and then trained up specifically 12 and more, but specifically 12 to finish his work after he was gone, to keep going. Why didn't he go to MIT? I know MIT didn't exist, so stop it. You know what I'm getting at? Why didn't he do that thing? Why didn't he pursue career goals? Why didn't, he, why didn't he want to be the next king or the next ruler? I shouldn't say king, you know what I'm saying, earthly. Why didn't he want to be the next earthly ruler? He could have done it. I mean, he's going to do it in the millennium, right? So why didn't he just do it? He got all the requisite gifts to do it. I mean, isn't that what we teach our kids? You got one heck of a brain, kid. Here's a textbook. Learn some physics, kid. You go to the moon. You be an astronaut. You make mommy and daddy proud. We'll get back to the Bible when you're 80 and you're depressed and, and, your, and your bloodstream is toxic from all the doping because you're so darn depressed and malnourished spiritually. Good job. You see my sarcasm? I feel like punching people. Here we go. Why? Isn't it, I mean, isn't it obvious? Satan has no scruples. Nor do his agents. One last principle worth noting from Tuesday's lesson. Whoever said that salvation was easy anyways? Easy. Easy. Whoever said that salvation was easy? Considering the following truth up here on the board, we have been buried with Jesus Christ in His death. That's what Scripture says, Romans 6, 4. We have been buried with Christ, Jesus Christ, in His death. One of the principles this past week is that while something is simple, it isn't always easy. Simple and easy are not the same thing. That's what Satan wants you to believe. This is why the Spirit spent a little time with us on the topic of agonizing over our conversion. It's because death is never a fleeting consideration or something to be taken lightly. To be converted, your, your old self is being put to death, right? I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Right? That's quite a consideration. I got to, this thing that I like, my flesh, has got to die and be baptized, to be identified with, to be buried with Christ. So says Holy Scripture. That's quite a consideration last time I checked. Hence the whole idea of repentance. There's a certain struggle, wrestling match, agonism, striving to get through the narrow gate, a certain difficulty, which is the antithesis of easy, last time I checked. So simple doesn't mean easy. Ask Jesus if dying on the cross was easy. Ask Him when you see Him. Hey, Jesus, was it hard to die on the cross? Was it difficult? What do you think He's going to say? Heck yeah! Yeah! It wasn't easy at all. Go to Romans 6 1. See, this is what I mean by no one has respect for Jesus. It's like, hey, thank you, Jesus. Okay, out of the way. Hey, thanks for taking on my sins. That's cool. Thank you. See you later. Get my ticket to heaven. I gotta watch a football game. I gotta drink a little Bruce Gays. Bottoms up, Jesus! I'm being ridiculous. I'm actually ashamed that I have to say that. But that is exactly how people treat Jesus Christ. The sovereign God of the universe. He's not your pal. He's your savior. He's your Lord. He's your capital M master. He's the sovereign of the universe. Have we forgotten this? Because our younger generations know nothing about this. So they're off shooting each other in schools. And the parents are like, geez, I wonder why these kids are so messed up. Look in the mirror. So ask Jesus if dying on the cross was easy. Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him, through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him. Oh, ask Him what crucifixion was like, by the way. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Again, up here on the board, the perspective he's trying to give you on overcoming death, since you got all these morons saying that salvation is uh, not only simple but easy, that the whole thing was just so easy, let's just be completely flippant about this whole thing. Let's have no respect whatsoever for what our Lord and Savior did on the cross. Let's belittle it completely. Let's get to the point where it's so little that we have the audacity to complain about it. It's not wide enough. It wasn't enough because what about my Uncle Jimmy? He was the nicest man I ever knew. And you saying he's going to hell? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? No, then he's in hell. Let me be the first to tell you, little one. Uncle Jimmy is in hell, assuming he didn't believe in Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't you tell your kid that? Well, that would be too hot. It would upset my kid. Exactly. Show me in the Bible where it says we're not people are not supposed to be offended by the gospel. Show me in the Bible where it says people are not going to be offended Uh, Affronted by the wrath of God. (laughs) Overcoming death. We have been buried with Jesus in his death. What about the Messiah's death was easy? If we are baptized into his death, we ought to identify with it appropriately. There's nothing easy about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Nothing. And if we're to, that's what baptism means, to identify with. If we're to identify with his death, shouldn't we identify with it appropriately? Shouldn't we call us what it really is something that was difficult beyond anything you could possibly imagine? You know how long you would have lasted on the cross? Not, who knows, right? It would have been like, I'm out of here. Probably would have wiped everybody out. <laughs> First time someone whacked you in the face, you probably would have been, that's it, I'm done. You're all going down, calling the angels. But he didn't do that. And you know what? It wasn't easy. Do we forget that? The point is that while something is simple, it isn't always easy. Again, ask, if, ask Jesus if dying on the cross was easy. So, of course, this got me reflecting and I'll share. I'm, I can't believe I'm almost out of time. I'm halfway through my notes. I'm not the judge, but here's my gripe. I just want people to recognize. I, want, I, mean, I just want certain people in this world to recognize that they do not believe the words in the Holy Bible. That's what I want people to recognize. I want people just to stop saying I'm a Christian when they don't believe the words in the Holy Bible. Just stop. That's my first gripe. I just want people to recognize that we're not the same. And I'm not trying to be a separatist. I just want people to recognize that they do not believe in the words of the Holy Bible. I want churches who aren't preaching the truth to take the cross off of their building. Call it anything you want, but don't attribute your doctrines, your perversions to Christ, because that's an abomination. I just, In other words, I just want this to be settled. I'm not trying to... Look, I'm not trying to be a separatist. I'm not saying I'm better or worse than anybody. God knows I'm not. I'm a sinner like the rest of you. I'm just saying, can we call something what it really is not Christian that's all I care about and I want churches to say we're not Christian and I just want all of us to rally around the truth of the matter that is that a person who doesn't submit to the authority of the Word of God ought never Ever call themselves a Christian? How could you? Jesus Christ is the Word. If you do not submit to the authority of the Word, how do you call yourself a Christian? You are literally saying, I'm not submitting to Christ, but I'll take Him as a Savior, just not Lord. I'll take Him as my Savior, but I don't want Him as my Lord. So I'll take the name and all the goodies and the free ticket to heaven supposedly and I'll call myself a Christian. But I will not submit to the word. And if perchance I do, if perchance I do, I want you to praise me for it. I'm going to wear my Sunday best and I want you to praise me. From making it to church. That's Christianity. And I hate it. I despise it. That's all I want. I don't want people like that saying that they're Christian or a disciple of Jesus or a believer. I know some of you are probably like, "Geez, man." But this none of this should be shocking to hear. I believe Jesus would have had no problem. If he was here, he would have no problem making much stronger statements about the estate of so-called Christianity in this world. He would have no problem. He'd say, "That's not fine." I don't know what that is, but that's not mine. That's from a different seed. That's not the gospel seed. That was sown in some other soil that sprouted up something else that might look like wheat, but is a tear. That's something else, but it's not mine. But he's not here, is he? In front of you. So who's going to do it? You know who? His under shepherds. Guys like me that are actually ordained to be here. That really just want to speak the truth. And we're despised for it. I'll give you this and i got to close because I'm out of time. Two more things. Ask yourself this and chew on this over the weekend. What's worse? To exclude someone from salvation because that's offensive or mean? Or to include them, destroying the very essence of true saving faith? What's worse? In other words, what's worse, to offend man or to offend God? What's worse? What's the bigger, you know, infraction? What, you're afraid to offend man? What what the hell for? Do you know how grotesque man is? We got little ones shooting up schools. Do you know how grotesque the flesh is? Why do you care about offending that thing? That thing's a wild animal. It'll chew you up and spit you out and not think twice about it. And you're trying to protect that thing? I, it's like the, I always get a kick out of these guys that go into the field and they, and they play with the animals, like these wild animals, and eventually they get eaten. And everybody's like, wow, I thought he was so good with those grizzlies. Yeah, as soon as they ran out of like, steak, they ate him. I mean, why is everybody shocked? That's what they're supposed to do. That's what the flesh is supposed to do. It's going to chew you up and spit you out. Why do you care if you're offensive to a, a grizzly bear? Or a great white shark? What do you care if you're offensive to that thing? How about if you're offensive to God? How about that? So the final word from the Spirit this past week was captured at the tail end of Tuesday's message. And this is just something else for you to chew on. I hope you understand where I'm coming from. I've been coming from this angle for... Geez, I don't even know, probably close to a year. We're not looking at the entire band of people. We're fighting a specific battle. It's called arrogance. We have a problem with the arrogant, not the broken. Maybe in the future, the Lord, the Spirit, will take us and talk a little bit more about mercy towards the humble and the brokenhearted and the dispirited and these people that are lovely to evangelize because they're thirsting for the truth. We're not talking about them. We haven't been talking about them. We're talking about the arrogant people, the pretenders. I want you to understand that because I don't want anybody here to be um, you know, thinking we're witch hunting. We're just protecting the gospel. How's that? We're just protecting the gospel. And if it means we got to rear our claws sometimes and stand up for Jesus, I'm in. How about you? Amen? Bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to study your word, to set the record straight about your gospel, your son, the glorious truth about your salvation plan for all of us, Father. What a privilege this has been this evening. We ask for your blessings as we take these things out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.